So I thought uh, this, this afternoon we could uh, take a little shorter session, maybe a little simpler also in terms uh, of ideas, and, um, but look a little more closely at uh, one of the, the texts, actually it's the Gospel uh, for tomorrow, <coughs> and um, it introduces one of the main characters in the story, which is uh, the character of, uh, of, of Judas. So, this is how the Gospel uh, begins. Uh, they're sitting at table for the Last Supper and having told them uh, what he thought was going to happen in the immediate future I was talking this morning about time and how when we're in the spiritual dimension all of time is present the past the immediate future uh, sorry the immediate present and the future these other dimensions of time where we relate to them differently it doesn't mean that we have perfect memory, perfect recall of what happened 20 years ago. It doesn't mean that we can predict what is going to happen next. But we have this spiritual sense of the connection between these dimensions of time. So, Jesus here at his Last Supper with his disciples and friends um, is conscious that this may well be his Last Supper. And not surprisingly, he's troubled in spirit. And that's how this passage starts. Jesus was troubled in spirit and he said, I tell you very solemnly, one of you will betray me. Well, that may not be the best way to start a meal with your friends. Might sort of put something down, uh, put the spirit of conviviality uh, a bit at risk. But it's serious. And John Maine used to say, seriousness produces joy. When we're serious about life, even when life is difficult, painful, joy will be the outcome. And he would say, if we're only solemn, you know, we solemn in the sense of being heavy and um, uh, too self-important. So if we're solemn, that produces superficiality. 
triviality. So it's a, it's a way of understanding uh, the seriousness uh, with which Jesus is speaking here. And we see very quickly the intense drama of human relationships. Human relationships are dramatic. We even in what may look like ordinary domestic relationships, there's a drama happening. There's a theater happening. And we never know exactly what is going to happen. But it's, it's always a play in progress, a spectacular in progress. And this passage, I think, gives us insights at many levels, including that this level of human psychological personal drama. And it shows us that this uh, drama of human relationships, our friendships, our love, is the, uh, is the way in which we awaken. What do we awaken to? We awaken to ourselves through our relationships with others. Self-knowledge comes to us through relationships. But we also awaken to the ultimate relationship of life. That is to say our relationship with God, with the ground of being. And it's in this basic relationship of all existence that all relationships are rooted <coughs> uh, and are grounded. So there is a direct link between our human relationships and our relationships with God. We can't separate them. That's why we're told in the first letter of St. John, if you cannot love the, your brother or sister whom you can see, then you cannot love God whom you cannot see. So Jesus here uh, shows us in a, a, a very dramatic way an insight into his relationships with, with his community, with his disciples. And he begins by saying that one of those present will betray him. And suddenly, the, the superficial mood, sitting to have a meal together, is transformed. And 
a new dimension is opened in the relationships that form this group, that form this community. And this, this is something that happens continuously in any community or in any family. Relationships are never static. They're not frozen. Even if you say, you know, um, I have a good relationship with such an, with, with a particular person, well, that good relationship can change. In the same way, we may have a bad, hostile relationship with someone, and one day we become the best of friends. We understand each other in a way we didn't before. So our relationships with each other are by nature very dynamic and unpredictable. So his comment about one particular person in this group who will betray him is a very trusting, honest comment. It's not, uh, remember this is a, a drama, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a transcript of an of a actual event, you know, word for word, but it describes uh, the dramatic nature of human relationships. <coughs> so, we might ask, what does this mean? And they themselves asked, what does this mean, one of us? One, one of his close group is going to betray him. What does that mean? And why does he say it now? So the disciples were then told, they looked at each other, wondering what he meant. So the evening, meal is turned into something quite different from what they expected. They look at each other and wonder what he meant. Their exchange of glances complicates the texture of this community. They look at each other and they wonder, I wonder if it's you. Or one, maybe, perhaps they, some of them think, could it be me? They look at each other very differently. And Jesus himself might appear to be isolated in this moment because they're not looking at him, they're looking at each other. What we see is his solitude. He's with his friends, his disciples. He's being completely open with them. And remember how the story starts. He is deeply troubled in spirit. 
and we see him in, in, at many points in the story suffering, sad, lonely, and frightened. So he's not sort of attacking them, but he is sharing with them, you might say, this insight that has come to him. And although it's not an easy insight for them to hear, it is affecting them in a way that will lead to growth. And he is treating them as adults, not as children. And not just as cult followers, you know. He's treating them as people who are students, who are learning. But he's, but he's sharing uh, authentically from himself. And this immediately takes us into the, the meaning of Easter, that it is the humanity of Jesus that is suffering. We know what it is to suffer through human relationships, misunderstandings, infidelities. Uh, we know what it means. Well, so did Jesus. It's very important for us to remember uh, in Holy Week that Jesus went through his passion humanly. Not 99.9% humanly. You know, and there was this little 0.1% that said, oh, I'm God, this doesn't really matter. I'm not really feeling the pain. But fully. What is important is that he, he, he entered in his full humanity into these human experiences and, and but he was able to do it within the spiritual dimension. And if we might say, if in his teaching us how we can be fully human ourselves. Indeed, what it means to be human. And this is a essential meaning of the life of Jesus and of Christianity. Christianity is simply the extension of Jesus into history and culture. And an essential part of that, perhaps the, the most essential part, is anthropology. It is to teach us what it means to be human. That we, we cannot reduce humanity just to neurons, to neurological uh, activity, nor even, uh, nor can we merely reduce 
humanity to psychology, to the psychological dimension. When we recognize the existence of this spiritual dimension, all of these different elements of humanity are connected. And that's what fullness of humanity means. So, the disciples look at each other and wonder what he's talking about. And then uh, we're told that the, the disciple Jesus loved was uh, leaning against Jesus because they would have been lying on the ground in not sitting at table with nice dining room chairs. And uh, traditionally, of course, the disciple Jesus loved was John. Uh, now, Hollywood and, and some scholars uh, think it, it, it could also be Mary of Mary Magdalene, but probably in this context it would be more likely to be John. So, and Peter asks John to ask him what, it, what he means. So we see another dynamic in, uh, in the community, in any organization. This kind of thing goes on. And um, so, uh, he, and that's what he asks, what he says to John. He says, ask who it is he means. And uh, so John asks, uh, leans back against Jesus onto his breast, he says. And uh, he says, who is it, Lord? Probably not in a loud voice. <laughs> Who do you mean? And uh, so, in this little exchange, we can see uh, some of the dynamics of, uh, of all human relationships. They're, they're, we are closer to some people than we are to others. That's just human, human nature. And uh, that can be accepted naturally and healthily. Uh, we take it for granted in, in families. But it can also be a source of friction. You know, you can have a 50-year-old child say to their parents, you always preferred my brother to me. So we're very sensitive about this inevitable aspect of, of human relationships and groups. It's very easy for us to feel excluded. This doesn't seem to be happening in this moment 
Peter just realizes he, he can get information directly in this, this way. But in other passages of the Gospels, we see the disciples arguing among themselves about who is the greatest and who will be the greatest. On another occasion, the mother of two of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, could you make sure that my boys get, get a good job uh, in your new administration? She doesn't quite know what's going to happen. So, and on, at least on one occasion, Jesus uh, addresses this rivalry and competition. And he says, this, this happens in groups that lack the spiritual dimension. This is okay, this is human nature, this, is, this sort of thing happens among monkeys and uh, bankers. Uh, but it doesn't happen, it shouldn't happen among you. Your dynamic of relationship has to be significantly different. So instead of competing with each other out of your insecurity or your jealousy or your pride, you have to adopt a new dynamic of relationship, which is not uh, competition, but service. And this is one of the great themes of, the, of Holy Week, the spirit of service. In the Gospel of John, it, be, uh, it, it opens the uh, passion story with the washing of the feet. Uh, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, making a gesture of, uh, of service that is very difficult for them to accept. And Peter, as you remember, refuses to allow his feet to be washed. So you would think he's the, the sort of the, the, the chairman of the disciples. So you would think he would set a good example and say, wash my feet, thank you. But uh, he resists, he refuses, because his image of Jesus, his image of himself, are not uh, aligned in the spirit of service. And we cannot serve others without allowing ourselves to be served. This is, this is, this is a dynamic, this is the other side of the dynamic. We often set limits to how much we will serve in any particular situation. And at a certain point, 
for different reasons, we may feel that we have not received enough recognition or we're being exploited or we just lose interest in, in what it is we're doing. And so the spirit of service uh, in us looks for something else. That's one, uh, one of the challenges to living continuously in the spirit of service. The other extreme is when we become proud of our <coughs> service. And this, the way we serve becomes uh, a status that we wish to uh, publicize and, uh, and <coughs> get credit for. And this, uh, this dynamic of, uh, of service with its contradictory elements uh, is very uh, easily recognized in religious circles in particular. Because in religious circles um, we, we usually uh, accept, at least in theory, uh, the spirit of service, the dynamic of service. Whereas in working in a very competitive banking uh, or, or professional uh, organization, the dynamic is much more explicitly competition rather than service. So Jesus, Jesus is emphasizing the spirit of service here. He responds to the question of John about who is uh, going to betray him by giving a piece of bread to Judas, to the, to the traitor. And then, so he's, uh, he's answering the question, but in a, a muted way or in a, in a more subtle way. And then it's very striking that uh, St. John says in this account, at that instant, after Judas had taken the bread, Satan entered him. So that's a little surprising. We would have thought Satan was already in him and he had this in his mind when he, uh, when he arrived for the dinner. That, that, so what does that mean? Satan entered Judas at the moment of that uh, very direct communication with Jesus. He's, it's as if he's giving him communion, you know, and, you, and at that instant he becomes possessed by, by Satan. So we, we have to think deeply, and maybe we can discuss this later, uh, what, it, what it means.
Um, and then, this, this is a strange moment of intimacy between Jesus and, uh, and Judas, his, his betrayer. It's as if this moment of direct communication triggers the shadow, the dark force, an evil force or a destructive force uh, in Judas. What this dark force was exactly, what motivated it, what was the motive of Judas, we don't know. We can't explain it psychologically. It's very similar uh, if you know the play Othello, Shakespeare's Othello, uh, to the character of Iago, who seems to have some kind of motive of jealousy or feeling that he had been uh, overlooked uh, or humiliated, but uh, he actually really says there's no reason for what I'm doing, destroying uh, you know, Othello and Othello's wife and their marriage. It seems uh, just a dark, destructive force. And we know from history that dark, destructive forces can enter not just into individuals, but into whole societies. Anyway, at that instant, Judas became Judas. You know, uh, the exemplar of, uh, throughout history, of betrayal and shame. To call someone a Judas is one of the worst things you can, you can say. But Judas is not only an integral part of the plot, of the structure of the story. He also illuminates the meaning of the story. So, the other question is, why do we feel, at least I do, why do we feel such a kind of sympathy with him? We don't know why he's doing what he, what he did. And yet, uh, we, ask, we ask that question, why? And he, here is a person who has excluded himself, it seems, or feels that he is an outcast. And then, as we know from uh, later in the story, he commits the ultimate rejection of himself. He kills himself. So all of this is 
inexplicable. We don't have the information or the psychological uh, explanation. But somehow there's something that we can identify with. We can recognize the existence of this dark force. And most of us have felt it at some moment in our lives. Not only that when we feel we have been betrayed, but in ways where perhaps this dark force, this negation, because Judas is a negation, the saying no, we don't know why, but he says no. So we all, I suspect, felt at, at some moments or in some ways the power of this dark force where everything in us, our relationships, our uh, environment, then suddenly becomes possessed by this darkness and lack of meaning. And the, the mysterious thing in the story is the parallel between the disciple Jesus loved, who has this moment of direct communication with Jesus, and the moment of direct communication with Judas. They're absolute opposites. But they seem to, in some way, mirror each other. And each of them has a certain kind of intimacy. Jesus is intimate with John and intimate with Judas. And this apparent contradiction may be the key to the meaning of the whole story. When we look for meaning, it's, we're usually looking for an answer. And an answer is, for example, right or wrong. Yes or no. But perhaps that is not how the meaning of life is actually to be understood. Not as an answer, <coughs> black or white. And perhaps the, the meaning of the story and the meaning of life is that all the contradictions, all the oppositions of life are capable of being reconciled, of being 
united. There is nothing that cannot be redeemed. Because nothing can be ultimately separated from the ground of being. Otherwise, it would cease to exist. So, perhaps that is, uh, this is a, the beginning of an understanding of, of, the, of the depth of the meaning of this story that we are living through in Holy Week. And as we will come to see at the end of the story, uh, even the greatest divide, the greatest opposition that we can imagine is what? The difference between the living and the dead. What could be more opposite than that? You're either dead or you're alive. And there's a moment where you cr that divide comes between us. So, if even that division, that divide, can actually be, be bridged, reconciled, then even uh, human relationships, even our conflicts uh, with ourselves can be healed and, and uh, saved. Good.